Welcome to season three of Passing the Peace, featuring Amy Meyer and Nancy McCraney. Passing the Peace is a podcast with a progressive look at faith, religion, God, the Bible, and some other stuff. If you're listening right now, it only takes a few clicks to help us out. You can subscribe to Passing the Peace, you can give us a review, and you can even share the podcast with someone who might be interested. So today we are talking about the commandment that we love to break, and we're going to start out with this brief story that Nancy's going to share about how she was working to put a conference together, and here's what happened. We brought in a speaker, this great guy, I'm forgetting his name, but he was a minister in Indianapolis in the Methodist church, and he told me that on the plane, he had a, you know, often your seatmate will strike up a conversation. And so they started talking, and this man said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a minister, and I'm going to speak to a bunch of ministers on the commandment that they break the most often. Mm. And he said his seatmate on the plane, you know, got this face, like, oh, I know which one you're talking about. And he, and then he said it's the, the fourth, fourth commandment. The fourth, the fourth, yeah, the fifth, it's the fourth, fourth commandment, yeah. you know, keeping the Sabbath, and the, the you know, seatmate was clearly confused. Uh-huh. But, you know, it was a funny story. Yeah. But he said it is. You know, everybody thinks it's, it's adultery or it's right. some sort of sexual thing, but it's keeping the Sabbath. And he said, clergy are terrible at it. So when you preached about this, and then I started thinking about it, I was like, okay, I've got some things to weed out. And I bet a lot of people do. Yeah. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So today we're talking about Sabbath. And that might sound like a bit of a boring discussion. That's what I thought when I first heard the topic. But I recently went on a sabbatical, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that. And one of the interesting things I did on my sabbatical was that I rode a bunch of roller coasters. One of the places I rode a roller coaster was called Kennywood, which is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And if you ever meet somebody from Pittsburgh and mention Kennywood, you will notice that their eyes sort of gloss over. They get very nostalgic about Kennywood. And I love how Nancy caught that Kennywood is kind of a place apart. So there's a real pride that the locals have about Kennywood. And... It does have a real kind of like homey feel hmm. to it, even though it's like roller coasters and yeah. games and, you know, there's something really kind of homey. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, as you were talking, I thought it is kind of a place apart. So that's interesting. There's a spirit of that place yes. that's unique. Yes. And and beloved, sounds yes. like. Yes. And you rode the Jackrabbit, which must have been the first... The first roller coaster at Kennywood. I mean, it's was built in 1920. I yeah. went looked it up. Yeah. It's like over 100 years old. Yeah. yeah. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. Okay, you wrote that. Yes, I did. And that didn't turn out so good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, Jackrabbit sort of connotes like there's going to be some... Leaping and uh-huh. jerky m- m- movements. Like. Yeah, exactly. Names. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was so 
fun in the moment, but uh-huh. so painful. Because <laughs> so it painful. just like bounced you around and yeah. yeah, this the seat was just like a wooden bench, uh-huh. and the cart was a wooden cart, and the seat belt. I don't know that a snug seatbelt would have made a difference, but the seatbelt went over both people in the car, so... So you're bouncing against each other. Yes. And it even tells... There's signs all over the place that says the smallest person has to sit on the right-hand side of the car because otherwise the centrifugal force of all the turns will smush the smallest person. Mm -hmm. So whoever's the smaller of the two of you getting in the cart has to sit on the right. Wow. And uh, it, they were not lying. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Like, there was just a, I mean, oof, it was crazy. I was on top of my cousin the entire time. <laughs> and, you know, my keys in my pocket were pressing so hard against her leg. I thought I was trying to move them, yeah. you know, because we were just pressed yeah, up against right. each other. It was exhilarating. And it's been over a month. And I can still, I still don't feel quite right. Uh-huh. I would do it again, hand again. <laughs> like, it would just be the last ride. Right, yeah. <laughs> like, if I go back to Kennywood, it would just be, like, my plan to ride the jackrabbit last. On your way out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you just go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, sit in the hot tub. Well, it does sound fun. It, it is fun. Except for the pain. Yeah. And, oh boy, that's how life is, too, sometimes, huh? Like, you're you right. And you tied that in mm-hmm. at the end of your sermon that life is like a roller coaster. Yeah. And I was like, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there would be some connection. Call back. <laughs> so that was good. That was really fun. So there's an actual group of roller coaster enthusiasts who go around all over the country to ride different roller coasters. And the Jackrabbit is one that they like to ride. You can actually find videos of this group and other groups riding the jackrabbit and coming off of the ride and just being like, oh, that was so awesome. But when I got off the ride, I felt like I was gonna die. I talked to my uncle and some of my cousins about the experience of the jackrabbit and we all kind of agreed that when you ride it, it's as if you have just played a game of full contact football and then immediately got into a car wreck. It just wreaked havoc on my body, and I was totally useless the rest of the day. I I couldn't ride. I rode one other ride right after that, and then my body just kind of seized up, and I really couldn't do very much for the rest of the day. So that was unfortunate, but the ride was fun. So you might be wondering, what does riding the jackrabbit at Kennywood have to do with this theme of Sabbath? Well, for one thing, it's just simply one of the things I did while I was on sabbatical, which is kind of like a really long Sabbath. But another way that it connects is that I think it's really important to pay attention to what you do first in your life. What I did first on my day at Kennywood was ride the jackrabbit, which was a mistake to put it first. In the same way, It's important what you put first in your life. And Sabbath is one of those things that is so easy to neglect, but so important to put first. Okay, so this idea of putting worship first as your first priority in the week 
is easier said than done, and I know that. I want to share with you that several years ago, pre-COVID, the seminary had a panel of pastors come and talk to the graduating class about what it was like to be a pastor and how you spent your days and what your weeks looked like. And the students had all kinds of really good questions, so it was a really interesting panel discussion. And then one person asked a question that went something like this. She said, I know pastors are really busy, and I know that you usually work on Sundays, so I'm wondering what do y'all normally do for Sabbath? And not one single pastor had an answer for that question. And one of the pastors might have been me. <laughs> I'm telling you this because I want you to know that I know it's difficult to put Sabbath first because we have things to do. We have jobs, we have bills to pay, we have errands to run, we have houses to clean and family functions and sporting events and all the other stuff that we can't usually put off, at least not on a regular basis. And so the idea of making Sabbath the first thing we do is a tall order. One thing I was wondering when I was preparing for this sermon is I wondered, because I was thinking about yoga and I was thinking, well, Shavasana is like the Sabbath of yoga. Oh, wow. And so then I wondered if the words were connected because Shavasana and then if you pronounce Sabbath like Shabbat. That's right. In the Hebrew, and they're so similar. And anyway, I don't think they are um, linguistically connected because shavasana means corpse pose uh -huh. and I couldn't find anything that had to do with corpse or death for yeah. the word Sabbath so I don't think they're connected in that way but I was googling it and it turns out I'm not the first person to make that connection and I found some blog posts and stuff from yoga teachers and I found a t-shirt that you can buy that to wear to yoga classes that says I'm here for the Shavasana, <laughs> which I thought was so cute. And I found this one blog post. They were talking about how they spend all this time preparing this sequence of poses. And it seems like all the people really want to do is get to the Shavasana. Yeah. Yeah. But she's like, I can't, could I like just have, you know, people show up for yoga and it's just Shavasana. Mm -hmm. Like, she was like, I don't think I could get away with that, but it seems like it's the only thing they really want. Yeah. And she was saying it's really telling about our society that, you know, like we just are craving this time to just be and breathe. And I think for maybe people who don't practice yoga, Shavasana is almost always the very last pose that mm -hmm. you do. And typically you lay on the floor and on your back with your arms out at your sides and your palms up and you just breathe. Yeah. There was a lot of stuff I found about how if people were experiencing any kind of shavasana or sabbath or rest in their lives, they wouldn't be craving it so hardcore once they get to yoga class. So it was kind of a comment on today's society, I think. I think it's, it is. I think people are just starving for it. And it's not, I mean, I think we're made for it. That's what my 
sort of if I look at our faith tradition, our story includes a day of rest, you know, our, yeah. our original story. Yeah. That God rested and called it good. And so I just think that's how we're made. And when we don't honor that natural rhythm, we'll find that we're not whole. Yeah. And you think about the earth when you farm every seven years at least you're supposed to let the field lay fallow oh, I so that it that. can regenerate itself so i just think it's built into us amy i think we are created for these kind of moments where we just stop and i almost think maybe that's what sabbath means sabbatical stop mm-hmm. you know sort of detach from that frantic what is that frequency that we are sort of tune into most of the time yeah. around us and inside us disconnect from that and tune into the goodness of God mm-hmm. and that's all you have to do yeah something deeper and so I think if we practice it every week I think the Jewish tradition would say it's like tasting heaven mm. or paradise mm-hmm. so you get that little taste of paradise every week And then when you get a sabbatical, you actually are ready for it. And I think Rabbi Heschel, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book called Sabbath, would say observing the Sabbath, it's not so much like an obligation as a, it's like an atmosphere that you enter into. Mm -hmm. And it prepares you for paradise. It prepares you for this, this life that is to come. But we have to be able to enter into it now. Anyway, I think all that moves me away from my Protestant work ethic hang-ups that Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. and into this other thing. And I think it's Heschel that says the Sabbath is like this guest that comes to you every week and stays in your home and you look forward to it. The other six days are made for the Sabbath. Now that I've experienced a sabbatical, I can't imagine why every other profession doesn't have this, you know? Seems like everybody should have this every seven years. Everybody needs a sabbatical. And I guess one way to take it is to observe a Sabbath every week, you know? Yeah. You shared that David Johnson used to say something like, um, so many minutes a day, one day a week. An hour a day. Okay. A day a week, a week a year. An hour a day. A day a week, a week a, a year. year. When you, you're, you're not producing anything, you're resting in God's grace and enjoying God's creation. And to me, when I think about it that way, and as I've looked at it more deeply, it's really a day to be a creature mm-hmm. and not a producer and not to demand other people produce for my benefit. Mm. I do think it's interesting. I love this idea that in the Jewish tradition, Sabbath starts in the evening. So it starts at sundown Uh for them on Friday, and it ends at sundown on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And when I change my thinking to set for for us, it would be Sabbath would start on Saturday at sundown Mm -hmm. and end Sunday. And it's a day set apart Mm -hmm. um, to call my brothers to come and worship, to sit on the porch, to spend time with people I love and to be in nature, like to just rest. 
but not the rest of just utter exhaustion. Right. That's not it. Right. Like do all that on Friday and Saturday or do that, you know, get your chores done, your laundry, and then, then you have a day to just be. And I have found the more I've practiced it and I, you know, I'm like a lot of us, whatever. I break that commandment often, but yeah. I've learned, I mean, over years and years, I have, I crave it. Mm-hmm. And that's a good weekend to me. When people, I always think, why are you asking me this? Every week, somebody said, what are you doing this weekend? And my answer is, I hope nothing. Like my, <laughs> <laughs> haven't I done enough yeah. this week? Yeah. Um, and so a good weekend for me is when I can get all my little household chores done on Saturday and maybe socialize a little bit, but that's not a real priority for me because I'm around people all the time during the week. And then really that whole 24-hour cycle of there's no agenda, there's no schedule. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. So now we've talked a bit about what Sabbath is and what it's like, but I want to make sure to mention something about what Sabbath isn't. And we'll do that in just one minute when we come back. I want to make sure to add that when you are working so hard or there's a lot going on in your life or you become overwhelmed with the weight of responsibility on your shoulders, and then you find yourself with no choice but to just crash at the end of the day. And you're in a position where you just can't even do anything but come home and sit on the couch and zone out for an hour in front of the TV. I want you to know that that's not Sabbath. That's just you trying not to die. And it's okay to do that. It's, I want you to try not to die. It's okay to try not to die. But don't trick yourself into thinking that that's Sabbath. That's not Sabbath. So let's talk about what Sabbath is. So the next thing that happened while we were in worship that particular day was that I shared two quotes to kind of describe what Sabbath is. And then I opened it up to discussion so that people could just take a few minutes to say what they thought about the quotes or what they noticed right off the top of their head or how those quotes related to each other or what spoke to them from those quotes. And it was a really, really interesting discussion. So I'm going to go ahead and play the audio of those two quotes. And then I'm going to share my conversation with Nancy about what was said afterwards, because unfortunately, the people talking didn't have microphones. And so we didn't really capture good audio of what they said. But I think you will get a good picture of it from my discussion with Nancy. While I was Googling around the internet this week, I found this quote by a famous pastor named Rob Bell. And when I read the quote, I thought, yes, this is a good way to think about Sabbath. But I also thought it's missing something. And then I read what John Calvin said about Sabbath, and I thought, that's it. So these two quotes together, one from Rob Bell and one from John Calvin, speak about Sabbath in a way that helps me to really understand what Sabbath is. So I want to share the quotes with you, 
and then I want to see what you think about them. So here's the quote from Rob Bell. Sabbath forces you to listen to your life. Sabbath is a day when you are fully present to your pain, your stress, your worry, your fear. Sabbath is when you let whatever you've pushed down rise to the surface. Sabbath is a day when things that are broken get fixed, when things within you that have torn are mended. Okay, so now here's the quote from John Calvin. Actually, it's a summary. It's a summary of what John Calvin said about Sabbath. Sabbath is a time to bring people together so that they can hear the word of God, call upon the name of God, offer sacrifices to God, and do all other things which would concern spiritual guidance. Well, and I was also struck, you read a Rob Bell quote, and I remember the podcast, listening to the podcast that he did years ago talking about Sabbath. And I never forgot it because he's, he said, when we, we rarely stop, and when we do slow down and stop, often the things we've raced past are waiting for us. Mm. And so that's where it's like the, the fear, the pain, the loneliness. I mean, it sounds terrible. It's like, right. why would you want to slow down for that or right. stop? But sounds like torture. It sounds horrible. But, you know, I work with people that are grieving, and it's... It's the way we're built. It is not going anywhere. You can't outrun it. You can't ignore it. You can't shove it away somewhere. All those things are waiting for you to stop and make room for. You know, you don't have to stay there, but you have to stay there long enough to incorporate and metabolize all those experiences. And I think what we've been living through, Mm -hmm. goodness, everybody has more than their share of those kind of things. And so I find in my life, if I have been going, 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 like working, just moving, trying to, you know, keep things headed in the right direction. When I do get a break, it doesn't feel like Sabbath. It feels like exhaustion. And then there's a dip, like a sadness, or I'll cry, or... I'll feel really unsettled. And I'll, if I remember, I'll think, oh yeah, because I haven't really had time to attend to these visitors mm-hmm. <laughs> in my life and they need some attention because they're not, they're not just painful, they're also informing me about some things that I've been experiencing or absorbing. Yeah. yeah. And so can I make room at the table? that and then it eases right Mm -hmm. if you will do that yeah yeah and I kind of I think it's almost like Sabbath is a muscle you have to flex regularly I love that yeah Uh, I know one person said like what you were saying that there was part of that Rod Bell quote that about feeling your pain and brokenness that seems like I can't remember how he put it. Negative. I think he yeah. said it. Seems yeah, it negative. negative. Yeah. And then another person raised her hand and said, well, I was, I was definitely 
in the Rob Bell quote this morning when I woke up mm. and I was in a place where I was feeling my pain and but after I got through that I was ready to be here and now I'm more in the Calvin quote uh. and then another guy spoke up and said something similar about how you know he feels like when he kind of acknowledges his pain and that then he's ready for it to be mended and and then I shared how my friend, who is a retired math professor, was reading a study about how the students who do the most, very, very best in school are the students who not only study by themselves, but also have a study group mm -hmm. to work with. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt about the two quotes. I felt like the Rob Bell quote was a lot of stuff you kind of do on your own in the solitude of your own space. Mm -hmm. And then the Calvin quote is more all about community yeah. and what you do together. Right. And I think that's why they felt like they fit so well together yeah. for me. Yeah, I thought the, they were interesting that you brought those two together. And I think that's a beautiful point that if don't expect it not to feel quote unquote negative or painful or distressing or uncomfortable. And I think we tend to just race for the exits. Uh oh, something's wrong. Yeah. It's like stay. It's like the Shavasana pose. Uh -huh. Stay. Just stay on your mat. All you have to do is just stay. And if you do that and allow room for that, it will move. It will transform. Like um, Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, if you don't transform your pain, you will transmit it. Mm -hmm. And boy, do we know people that transmit their pain to everyone around them. So yeah. we don't want to do that, right? Yeah. So if we can allow ourselves to be still, mm -hmm. just stay, even mm -hmm. if it's one minute more, one minute more, and allow our pain to be transformed, then I think we can come to a place of true worship. Yeah. And then getting into that rhythm week after week after week, I would just like urge everybody, including myself, to just practice. I mean, practice is a great word. Yeah. It doesn't say achieve, it says practice. Yeah. Sabbath. Yeah. That's Honor right. the Sabbath, you know? The next thing that Nancy and I talked about was this idea of worship being a part of Sabbath, and here's how that conversation went. I, I mentioned in my sermon that I stumbled across that shortly after I realized that I never practiced Sabbath. I signed up to be in this group of pastors, and when we got together, there were certain goals that the group was formed for. As we got to create some of our own activities, one of the things we talked about was, well, Every time we meet, we want a time of worship, and we don't want to have to lead it ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's what happened, is we hired a person who leads us, and she prepares the worship, and none of us have to do any of it. And I said that I wanted it, along with the other pastors as we were planning. Yes, I agree. I think we should worship together every time. Yes, I agree. I think none of us should have to lead it. Mm -hmm. But I was partly saying that and agreeing that because it's what I thought I should say and agree uh -huh. to. Yeah. So I was surprised at how important it became to me. Okay. And it was just really amazing to be in regular worship with this group of people and who all 
were just very earnestly worshiping and really just earnestly wanting to be there with each other. Mm-hmm. It really made a difference. And I was like, I'm really glad this is happening because it turned out that I wasn't having any Sabbath. <laughs> yeah. So it ended up being part of my Sabbath routine, which was exactly what was needed. And I think just like it took a little while for that rhythm mm-hmm. to find itself into your group, mm-hmm. we should expect that, especially if we're not used to practicing the Sabbath. At first, it may feel really clunky and weird and like, what am I doing? I've got so much to do. Yeah, you know? that's and a really you good just point. have to sit with that and, and let it let it work, do its work. Yeah. Because I really do think that idea of the Sabbath is this, is like God coming to be with you. And we have to practice making room for that. Also think like you can commune with God by yourself. You can glorify God by yourself, but worship is this thing we do all together. Even if all together is like four of us. um, Yeah. It's something we, we do. I I think I'm, I'm there with you on that. Hmm. I know you, you put the Rob Bell quote and the Calvin quote kind of side by side and said they complete each other. That, you know, Sabbath is a day when what's broken in us can be mended. Mm-hmm. And then the Calvin quote is, it begins with worship. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think about, remember the movie Fiddler on the Roof? Oh, yeah. Long time ago. So when I was young, it. yeah, when I was young, that, that was a big deal. My dad yeah. loved that movie. We saw it all the, you know, we watched it a lot. But the Sabbath begins in the Jewish tradition on Friday night with the lighting of the candles and with the women sort of doing this motion around the candles Hmm. and a time of the family gathers Mm -hmm. for a time of worship and prayer Mm -hmm. before the Sabbath meal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I love that idea of it starting in the evening. Yeah. Like as we move into rest Mm -hmm. and, and prayer and then maybe the next morning we rise to worship and but if it starts as the day is ending Mm -hmm. and we're moving into time of darkness and rest and sleep seems like more of a natural rhythm i agree Mm -hmm. so we hope that you will be able to find a natural rhythm including sabbath in your life but before you go to find that rhythm today nancy is going to share with you a quote from frederick beekner You think of God resting after the creation was finally all created. You think of the deep hush of it, like the hush between breakers at the beach. You think of the new creation itself resting, the gray squirrel ceasing to twitch and chatter, the kingfisher settling down on the branch by the pond, the man and the woman standing still in the garden. You think of God blessing this one day of the seven and hallowing it making it holy. It goes on, the room is quiet. You're not feeling tired enough to sleep or energetic enough to go out. For the moment, there is nowhere else you'd rather go, no one else you'd rather be. You feel at home in your body. You feel at peace in your mind. For no particular reason, you let the palms of your hands come together and close your eyes. Sometimes it is only when you happen to taste a crumb of it that you dimly realize what it is that you're so hungry for, you can hardly bear it.
Today's podcast is inspired by the Christian Theological Seminary, an ecumenical seminary based in Indianapolis, and in honor of the Lilly Endowment's Clergy Renewal Program, which provides grants to help congregations honor and support their pastors by funding a respite from persistent ministerial duties and enabling pastors to engage in a period of extended reflection and renewal. Just this year, they provided 190 grants to congregations in the United States, and ours was one of them. We are grateful for the opportunity and the experience. This is Amy Meyer coming to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. You can find us on our website at www.fpcelgin.org. That's First Presbyterian Church in Elgin, Texas. If you enjoy the kinds of conversations that we are having, and if you think that these kinds of conversations are important, then we invite you to come and join us. Join in on these conversations if you're in the area. And until next time. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Now go and pass the peace to everyone you meet.